Well, Merry Christmas. Wow, that was powerful. This is, um, what a great time of year, you know. We're a week away. Are you ready? A week away from family and presents and mistletoe and eggnog. And, um, and of course, this is the season of Christmas shows. So, so help me out this morning. Uh, what is the greatest Christmas show of all time? TV, Christmas movie, what, what's your favorite Christmas movie? What's the greatest one of all time? Anybody got anything over here? White Christmas, A Christmas Story, Die Hard. Die hard. <laughs> that one's uh, feeling a little angst in the room about that one being a Christmas movie, but it is, yeah, yeah. What else, what else? Favorite, best Christmas movie of all time, what do you got? It's a Wonderful Life, okay. The Grinch. Were you pointing at him when you said that or? No, okay. Okay. Yeah, of course the greatest show, Christmas show of all time is Elf. Uh, that's the answer to the, uh, actually the question. Uh, you know, even though we may not agree on like the greatest show of all time, I think we can agree, you know, a good Christmas movie typically is sort of heartwarming. Uh, maybe has a little magic to it, you know, but I think really what makes them so great is that when you watch them, you just sort of feel at peace, you know? I think we can agree on that. That's, uh, that's kind of how it was for Gilligan. We are continuing today in our, our series, our Christmas series called uh, Three Hour Tour, where we're kind of using the illustration of Gilligan's Island to describe how God guided Paul in Acts 28 in his journey and, and how God can guide us through uh, these holiday times as well, even um, in times that we may not expect, uh, in ways we may not expect. Uh, Gilligan, it was season one, episode 12. It was still in black and white, okay? And the castaways are celebrating Christmas. They're listening to Christmas music on the radio. They've got a bamboo tree that they're putting seashells on to celebrate Christmas. And everybody's sort of going around and they're talking about what they're wishing Santa to bring for them. And of course, Gilligan wants to be rescued for Christmas. And just at that moment, while they're celebrating together, um, there's this news bulletin on the radio that comes across and says some castaways have been found and they're gonna send a Navy destroyer ship to come and rescue them. Well, I mean, you know, Gilligan and all the crew, they get very excited about this and all these hijinks ensue, you know, where they're gonna burn this big fire to let them know where they're at and they're trying to fix a transmitter and all this kind of stuff and they pack their bags and they begin to reminisce about their time on the island. They're, they're leaving. But you know, in the end, they hear an update on the radio that the castaways were rescued. It just wasn't them. They were still stuck on the island. So their spirits are crushed and they're sitting on the beach at night around the fire and uh, um, a dressed up Santa Claus comes out. He looks a whole lot like the skipper. And he says, Merry Christmas to them all. Now where in the world the skipper would get a Santa suit on a deserted island? I don't know. Gilligan's Island never really cared to tell us those kinds of things. But Mr. Howe grumbles to Santa and he says, you know, what's so merry about it? And, uh, you know, the Santa says, well, you, you, you know, you might have been lost at sea and never reached this island. That could have happened. Or you might have gone to another island with no food or water or Santa suits, apparently. (laughs) 
He said, uh, you might have all been enemies instead of the family that you've become. And they're having this conversation and, and Santa finally leaves and, and when you know it, the skipper appears just at that moment as Santa leaves with some wood that he's been cutting for the fire and, and yet the, the episode ends, uh, they are all stunned, bells begin to ring as they look into the sky and they see Santa riding off on a sleigh. Is really him? That's good television, right? Heartwarming, it's encouraging, it's funny, it's touching. Santa visited and lifted their spirits. He didn't take them off the island, I noticed, but you know, he lifted their spirits. And in some ways, it's not unlike the original Christmas story as well, where you have these, these angels that sort of come into the story, just to show up, and uh, they appear to lift spirits as well. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and then uh, this heartwarming experience with these angels is recorded in Luke 2. And, and their participation in the Christmas story, I think, models something for us as the body of Christ, even in our world today. Look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, the Christmas story, starting in verse 8. Uh, Luke says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. These angels appear on the scene and instead of tearing down these shepherds, they lift them up. When Jesus is born into the world, these angels fill the sky and their word was peace. Peace? I don't know about that word. I don't know about you, but everywhere I turn, it seems like we're getting the opposite of peace. We get division. We get people tearing others down. Politicians and talk show hosts and internet preachers and sports figures and all kinds of folks. We're getting to the point where no one will even talk to each other unless we completely agree on everything under the sun. Our native language seems to be criticism. Do you speak criticism? Not as good as me, you don't. See, I speak it too. And on the earth, peace, the angels said to the shepherds. Why that word? And I think in that word, the angels encouraged them. Do you think it's possible that we could model that same kind of encouragement and bring joy in a world that is so torn apart in so many different ways? Into your neighborhoods and your schools and your families. Now, if so, if we're going to be that kind of encouraging presence, we should probably see how these angels did it here. And, and first, I want you to see that these angels, they appeared to these shepherds. They appeared to them, Luke says. Don't miss the simplicity and yet the power of that moment. Before a word was spoken, these angels offered a, a peaceful presence for these shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. He popped in. He showed up. He stood with these shepherds shoulder to shoulder now, now, don't miss the challenge of that. A holy angel with these grungy shepherds. Don't let the cute nativity scenes, you know, with Joseph and Mary and the wise men and, you know, the shepherds all together, beautiful and clean and posed in just the right position. Don't let that make you miss the, the power of this moment in the story. Because you see, in the first century, 
shepherds were generally uh, considered kind of the lowest rung on society's ladder. Often poor, had little or no formal education. In fact, these shepherds in the story may very well have been illiterate, couldn't, have re- couldn't read. Uh, they were known in some circles for being dishonest, so little trusted that in some, uh, some capacities uh, they were not allowed to uh, give testimony in a court of law. They were, they were ceremonially unclean according to the Jewish law because of their work with, uh, with animals. Their work often kept them from participating in the religious activities of Israel. Uh, some scholars have said because these shepherds in Luke's story are so close to Jerusalem, maybe they're raising animals that will be used for sacrifice in the temple, but that's about as close as they'll get to the religious life of their community. They're, they're kind of the outcasts. They're, they're the, the down and out, the despicable, the deplorables. And yet the angel of the Lord stood with them. A great company of other angels joined them. These angels, like their God, they model their God who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that act of showing up, it just banished their fear and it brought a smile to their eyes. And now you, as a party of the, uh, part of the body of the incarnated Jesus Christ, you can offer that same peaceful presence to people in your life as well. That showing up is encouragement. Have you ever experienced it? I'll never forget when I was a, a freshman in high school, I was... Uh, trying to navigate life and figure out life, you know, and girls and uh, sports and my five foot two inch body or something, you know. And my whole world got turned upside down because you see my mom started having these health episodes, seizures of a sort, just out of the blue. And so test led to test, led to test, led to an exploratory brain surgery. And our family was just shocked. We had no idea. This was, it was almost like we were hiding behind closed doors because we were afraid what would come next. And I'll never forget when word reached friends at church about my mom's illness. And all of a sudden, people that I didn't even know showed up and they brought food and they, they cared, and they prayed, and they came and stood among us in the hospital room, and they offered their prayers, and something of the presence of Jesus in my life was felt profoundly in that moment. Do you know what I mean? The presence of people showing up, and the peace of Jesus came together as one. My mom was healed in that moment through God's grace and through doctor's quick thinking. We even celebrated Christmas this year together just this past weekend, decades after the fact. And yet it's that presence of, of the body of Christ and God's healing that, that always brings to mind this sort of Christmas season for me. I think it's the power of presence that I witness in the closing moments of Acts 28 as well. We've been studying the book of Acts all year together. We've got a couple of weeks left here. Paul, throughout the last part of Acts, has been overcoming all kinds of things. Angry mobs and endless legal proceedings and uh, shipwreck and long delays and even a lethal snake bite we saw last week. He knew the darkness of fear as he was trying to get to the mission field of his dreams in Rome. And as Acts comes to an end, we read this interesting story in verse 11 of Acts 28. Look at this. Luke writes, after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island, the island of Malta. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. 
We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days and from there we set sail and arrived at Regium and the next day the south wind came up and on the following day we reached uh, Puteoli and there uh, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them and so we came to Rome. Now those, in my mind, should be Luke's final words. That's where the book has been pushing the whole time. The church has been filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ and they've become witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth all the way to Rome and they finally get to Rome. End of the story, the castaway is rescued. Drop your mic, Luke, story's over, great. But Luke backtracks. Now this isn't like him, he's an educated man, he's a doctor, he's a writer uh, writing a journey narrative. He knows when you get to the end of the journey, the story is over, that should be the end of the story. But instead, look at what he does in verse 15 of Acts 28. He says, the brothers and sisters there in Rome had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. Luke says that they got to Rome, but then he doubles back in the story to the journey along the way. Why? Can he just not end the story? <laughs> is he reminiscing like the Gilligan castaways at Christmas? Is that, what, is that what's going on? I thought a lot about this. I think, I think the reason he does it is because of the impact of the Christian community on Paul. Look at verse 15. At the sight of these people, on the way to Rome, at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Even the great apostle to the Gentiles needed to be encouraged. And how do these Roman Christians encourage Paul? Well, I think it was this. Uh, the route from uh, Puteoli to Rome was about 130 miles. It took about five days on foot to make that journey. Along that route, along the Appian Way, uh, about 43 miles south of Rome was a stopping place known as the Marketplace of Appius, mentioned here. It was uh, there that, that a group of Christians from Rome, probably a house church, kind of a small group of Christians, apparently showed up. They walked 43 miles over at least a couple of days' time frame to be present with Paul. And listen, the, the Forum of Appius was no Disneyland uh, either. An ancient writer named Horace said that it was a place crammed with boatmen and stingy tavern keepers. These Christians walked 43 miles by foot to a know-nothing town full of con artists and the scum of the earth, and they did it to be present with a torn-down Paul. And on top of that, 10 more, uh, more miles up the road, there's this way station called the Three Taverns, Luke says. And it seems like another house church of Roman Christians showed up there. Luke even uses an interesting word in verse 15. Uh, his Greek term, the word uh, translated to meet, was a word used in Greek literature to describe an entourage coming out of a city to meet a, a, an official who was coming into town, and the entourage would go out and meet him and bring him into town together in celebration. Uh, Luke, or Paul rather, would use that word in 1 Thessalonians 4 when speaking of believers, uh, he says, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Same word, the same idea. These Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, you see, hear of Paul's arrival, and they do for him what citizens of a great city would do for an emperor who is coming in or a conquering general or a returning prince. They, they come out at a great distance to meet him and escort him into the city. They, they treat this Roman prisoner like a Roman emperor. They showed up, they were there, they were present. And at the sight of these people, Luke says, Paul thanked God and literally received courage. 
Just like the holy angels showed up for those despicable shepherds. Just like the divine Jesus showed up in a manger for you and I. So now the body of Jesus in this story shows up for this frightened, torn down apostle. And that's encouragement. Let me ask you an honest question. When was the last time you went out of your way to be present with someone? Maybe someone who needed a comforting shoulder or listening ear. I know, boy, I know. It's Christmas time. It's busy. The flu's going around. (laughs) Lots of activities, kids' activities, family gatherings, presents, and all the rest, everything. Who has time to show up for someone torn down? Do you? (laughs) With all the very important tasks in our lives, would you make the time to simply be present with someone? To sit across the table and listen, to let them know they're not alone, to be there in flesh and blood and let them know that you are in their corner, that you are for them. See, Jesus showed up at Christmas among us. These angels showed up at Christmas and gave these uh, shepherds courage. These Roman Christians showed up and gave Paul courage in his journey to Rome. Do you think it's possible we could do the same thing for people who are torn down in our community, in our lives, our schools, our neighborhoods? These angels, they offered a, a peaceful presence in their encouragement. But of course, it didn't end there. They also offered a peaceful word. I mean, they showed up, but how is their tone going to be? Are they going to be angry? Are they going to be vengeful? You know, the, the people of God in this, in this age seem to be lost. The, the shepherds were unclean, you know. Jesus, the king of kings, was going to be born into a poor family far away from home. Are these angels going to come, up, come in and be outraged? I think I would have been. But that's where their words are so shocking. They say, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. God looks at these lowly shepherds and instead of blinding them in vengeance, he gives them light in mercy. Instead of bringing judgment, he brings a peaceful word. He encourages them. Man, do you know how powerful that is? Sometimes just an encouraging word can turn a whole whole life around. It, It shook the whole world at Christmas and it can transform the people in your life too, just a peaceful word. He was torn down, there's no question about it. You wouldn't think so from the outside looking in. Uh, He was a top five draft pick of the Miami Dolphins professional football team. He was rich and famous and athletic and young and good looking and he was on top of the world it seemed, but in his first two NFL seasons, he just, everything was met with turmoil, had various injuries, he was benched numerous times for poor play, he, uh, even his team was actively and publicly searching for his replacement. (laughs) I heard a few weeks ago, he said it got so bad, he looked himself in the mirror multiple times throughout the first two years, over and over again, looking in the mirror at himself, and he said, quote, do I suck, unquote, But this year, by and large, he has had a phenomenal turnaround. He's led the Dolphins to a a winning record at this point. He has the NFL's second best passer rating uh, previous uh, to an injury a couple of weeks ago and uh, now a couple of losses. Thank you very much for my illustration's sake. Before that, he was 14-2 and in his last 16 starts. He had the best winning percentage of other quarterbacks in the NFL. And and the question is, what, what has changed? What has changed from the first two years to this year? And here's what he said. In February, a new coach, Mike McDaniel, came into his life and he told him, I know that there is greatness in you. 
And his coach compiled a highlight reel of 700 of his best plays and put it all together in one video and had him watch it. Mike McDaniel offered a peaceful word and Tua Tungalavailoa was encouraged. Do you know the power of something that simple? The power of a peaceful word. Could you offer that to someone this Christmas? Barnabas did it all through the book of Acts. In Acts 11, this fledgling church is being torn down, persecutions tearing things apart. But then we read that that news of this persecution reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and, and saw that the, what the grace of God had done, he says, it says he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He encouraged them is the word. He, he didn't speak judgment or vengeance, he spoke peace. Parakaleo is Luke's word. It's used 22 times uh, in the book of Acts alone. It, it often means to console or to comfort. Uh, Adele Calhoun explains it this way in her book, Invitations from God. She says it means to instill courage, confidence, and hope through expressing the delight that God has in others. Barnabas looked at these outsider Greeks coming into the church, and he communicated delight and peace and became a bridge for them into the church. That's the kind of man and woman we need today. In our age of outrage and social media shouting matches and widening political divides and all the rest, we need people who look for the best in others and who will speak peace instead of criticism. We need believers who will speak a peaceful word. Is that you? Do you stir up trouble throughout your week or do you stir up courage? Maybe do this, this week, sometime. Just choose one day this week and try to encourage as many people as you can. Just, just wake up one morning and say, today I'm gonna try to encourage as many people as you can. Ask God to, to open your eyes to those in your life that may be torn down or feeling bad or low and just, just look them in the eye and just encourage them. In fact, you may even say something as simple as, God delights in you and so do I. Could you try saying that to someone? In fact, let's... Let's practice that right now. If you're sitting next to somebody, just turn to them right now and say, God delights in you, and so do I. Go ahead. I hope you truthfully meant the last part of that. The first part, 100% true. Will you encourage some other castaways this Christmas. I've always been moved by the Mark Victor Hansen story. Uh, he tells of a, a dad in Armenia, a dad who dropped his son off to school every single day, every day, drop him off to school. It's 1988. His boy's name was Armand, and every day dropped him off to school. He'd say the same thing to him as he left the car every day, every day. He'd say, Armand, I'll always be there for you. Every day, same thing. Armand, I'll always be there for you. Okay, Dad. <laughs> 1988, there was a massive earthquake in Armenia. Devastated the nation. A 6.9 magnitude earthquake that killed 30,000 people in under four minutes. A second tremor would come just a few moments after the first one would kill another 30,000 people. 60,000 people dead in a moment, buildings completely obliterated. Armand's dad 
survived and came running to his son's school to find it rubble. And he was heartbroken and with nothing but his bare hands, he began to pull off bricks and plaster and all the pieces and just started digging and digging and digging. And people around him, other parents said, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? It's, it's too late. They're, they're all gone. What, what are you doing? And he said, listen, you, you can either grumble or you can help me. And some of them tried to help and they tried to pull off pieces, hand uh, one, one piece after another, just little, little, little. But, but they gave up after a while. It just was hopeless. There's nothing that could be done. But, but Armand's dad wouldn't give up. He, he couldn't stop thinking about his son. And so he just kept pulling piece after piece, small brick after small brick off this pile, more and more and more. And his hands were bleeding. And he did it hour after hour, which became 12 hours, which became 18 hours, which became 24 straight hours, which became 36 hours. And at the 38th hour... He heard a muffled groan under a piece of wallboard. And he shouted, Armand! And as he pulled the piece from the darkness, he heard this trembling, shaking voice Papa. And then he heard the voices of these 14 other little kids struggling together under the rubble. And he began pulling it off. Papa, it's me. And he kept pulling it off and he pulling it off. And in the rubble, all of a sudden, Armand's strained voice said to his classmates, see, <laughs> I told you my dad would come. He's always there for me. And so is your father. He's always there for you. Jesus comes into the rubble of this world, this rebellious world, into the rubble of your life. He shows up. He won't leave us stranded. He comes to rescue us all, even if his own hands get bloody and his brow and his feet, and even if he gives his own life. And he comes and he speaks a peaceful word to you. Does that encourage you? Does that warm your heart this Christmas? I hope so. It's true. And if so, then go out and share that same peace with someone else, will you? because it might just be the greatest showing of Christmas they ever experience. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your son, Jesus, and for the life he brings, for his sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you showed up. You came here. You suffered through the division and the pain and the struggle and the hopelessness and the despair. You walked into this world, Lord Jesus, and brought light and peace, and we celebrate that today. We're thankful for the season. We're thankful for your guidance, and we pray that we too will be people of light during this season and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.